Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome into this Saturday episode of Flippin' Bats. It is Saturday with Smoltz Day, where, as always, Hall of Fame pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, John Smoltz, is going to join me. We're going to talk about sticky stuff, the Max Scherzer situation, some of the craziest things that he has ever seen done to a baseball when he was pitching, some great stories there, some great stories about his ejections back in the day and Bobby Cox and Chipper Jones involved there, as well as expansion and possible realignment to the league. This is going to be a blast of a conversation today, so I'm excited for everyone to hear it. And without further ado, let's bring him in now and welcome in John Smoltz. It's a blowout. Eighth inning, 10 Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out of the pitch. He swings, and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge bat flip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. All right, and I'm happy to welcome him on now. Here he is, John Smoltz. John, first question for you today. I had a lot of people asking last week after we talked about your golf outing upcoming. How'd you do? How did it go? Tell me about this golf weekend. Well, I was very disappointed, but <laughs> I did finish sixth. Um, not bad for you know a new hip, and I was I ended up. I ended up being more sore than I wanted to be, um, but that's part of the deal. I was just glad yeah. to be playing. My putter went south. I couldn't believe how bad I putted. It was almost to the point, like, if I was a pitcher, my money pitch was gone. Like, it was – there was nowhere. I had to figure out how to navigate. So, I was disappointed by that. I lost the speed again of my golf ball on the greens, and that when that happened, it really is similar to a pitcher losing his pitch or not having the feel on a pitch. You just you just grind your way through it. And I uh, I learned again what I need to do differently when I get on the green. So very frustrating because I hit the ball pretty well. I just putted poorly. How did uh, how Marty do? Marty lit it up until the last day, and Tony Romo caught him. Uh, <laughs> Romo had. I'm sure Romo's been thinking about this tournament for a year when he lost in a playoff to Marty Fish. Marty made seven birdies the second day, separated himself pretty well. Yeah. But uh, I got to give it to Tony Romo. He in a, it was really cold on Sunday, and he played great, putted great, made some putts, and he ended up winning the tournament, so Marty finished second. And now, so you are back in baseball brain this coming weekend, this weekend you're in the booth? Yes, I've got Mets, Braves uh, at City Field. First of what's going to be a battle all year between two great teams that are looking to uh, win the East along with Philadelphia. So it's, um, I think I've got Strider who has been on fire oh. and certainly uh, chopping my name down from a lot of different record books and uh, <laughs> He's, he's electric. So let's one of those teams that'll be there, the Mets. Uh, I, I want to start with with them, specifically with Max Scherzer and what happened to him um, a couple of weeks ago or a week or so ago with the suspension due to the substance check from the umpire Phil Cuzzy. Now, 
John, what I what I want to ask you about here is the the situation, the way they go about this seems rather arbitrary, I guess. It's a human being coming up, checking your hand and saying, well, that's too sticky because I just know it is. So I, I guess I want to talk to you about this situation. And was this the right move with Scherzer? Is this the right way to go about it in the future with these substance checks? You know, not knowing every detail, it doesn't seem right, uh, doesn't feel right, but that doesn't mean it ultimately isn't right from the view of the umpire. But I would feel better, honestly, if five different umpires had five different pitchers that they deemed that when it's one umpire, I, I, again, I'm not getting into the weeds. I, I just don't think at this point, Max Scherzer would be in a position to utilize something that he didn't feel was absolutely on the up and up. And to have him wash his hands and to hear the detail, the way he explained it, you know, the, the, the tough part for me is it's an automatic 10 games. Yeah. And what if somebody was wrong? And those scenarios, it's like ejecting a guy wrongfully. You don't get to re-enter him back into the game. Right. I've been part of that before. I've been ejected when I didn't deserve to be ejected and there's it's, it cost me a game, but that kind of human element exists in our game. I think there's answers to this. I know we've focused on the rule changes. That's going to be great for the game, but we have to get this right. Moving forward. We have to figure out what is acceptable and what isn't. We know human nature is going to push the envelope. And for those people who skirt it around the edges, well, then they're going to get dinged and they rightfully should. But I think the ball and the surface of the ball has to be figured out. We're, we got too much technology. We have too many resources. And there are ways to make rosin act and react pretty sticky. And I think that's the case here. And we need to figure it out because this, this won't serve baseball well if we get more and more of these and we've got people claiming that they're innocent. Yeah, That's going to be tough. I, I wonder, I don't know the exact answer, and I don't know if, if you know the answer either, but one thing Scherzer said the other day after the game that I found to be interesting is he was asked how, how to better help this situation so this doesn't happen. And one thing that was suggested, with all the technology in the game today, you can look and within a few seconds know if somebody's spin rate is through the roof higher than their average or right on par. So I guess, is there like, is this too much? Is there a world in which an umpire can come over, deem a pitcher's hand too sticky, and then maybe put on the headset like you would a review and talk to somebody before just ejecting them and getting them suspended? You know, it's a good question. I would be a little nervous of the randomness of not having your best stuff one day. Yeah. Uh, I guess the big thing would be a tremendous spike in the, in the wrong direction, meaning your spin rate's absurd one game. Those numbers, I guess we can get pretty close to to knowing what the average for a person is. But when the conditions are in LA or the conditions, I guess you'd have to look at the conditions. Yeah. If the conditions are pretty cold and really wet and then that spike happens, maybe you could have a concern there. But when it's really, we're getting to the point where from May, late May, June, July, August, there should be no issues, zero. Like unless you're in a dry environment like Colorado or Arizona, 
And to me, that's where we took the game too far. When there should be no issues in the summer months and pitchers' spin rate was going up, we know what happened, right? And that's the problem. When you get late in the year, October, having getting a grip is difficult and using rosin, which they deemed, you know, for everybody to be legal, that's when we have to be careful. Technology is great, but there are some randomness that could happen for a pitcher just doesn't have it one day and it lowers his number and the next day he feels good. So it's a good question. and It's probably a good barometer to use. I wouldn't make it an absolute though. Yep. I I agree with that after hearing you talk about it. Uh, You know, I have to ask you, you were thrown out once incorrectly and it cost you a game. What happened? So it was in Cincinnati. I'm up by seven or eight runs. I think it's the fourth inning. There was a play at third base where I was backing up third base. The runner came and slid past the bag. As the umpire rotated around, I was right there pointing that they tagged him, chipper tagged him off the bag. Well, the umpire rotates around, steps on my foot, and immediately ejects me and said that I bumped him. And I go crazy. I'm like, you stepped on my foot. And, and it, was, it was instant. Like, we're yelling. I'm yelling right at him. Like, how can you do this? You got a lot of guts. It was actually, you know, Harry Wendelstadt's son, Hunter. Mm-hmm. And back then, there was not the technology. I know ESPN spot shadowed him standing on my foot to prove my point. Yeah. And I didn't get suspended and or pay a fine, but I lost a game. Like, I lost a win. And he did get reprimanded from what I understand, but it was, it was one of those things. And Bobby came out immediately and to separate us, he put his hand on Hunter's chest and immediately he threw Bobby out. And the tirade that existed next was so hilarious. I can't repeat anything that Bobby was telling (laughs) but picture this. Bobby told me to go, go to the mound because I'm not coming out. So I'm standing on the mound with my hands, hand, arms crossed, and here comes the other umpire saying, John, you need to go. I said, I'm not going. I'm not leaving. <laughs> I got to go. And my manager said, I'm, sta- I'm staying, I'm staying. And I stayed there as long as I could, and then eventually I had to leave the mound. But uh, that, that I've been ejected three times, and all three times were unwarranted. And never did I pay a fine because my case was pretty blatant. Uh, I got ejected for yelling at the umpire, you missed the call. And ejected me. And again, nothing happened there. And then I got ejected with no warning for hitting a batter, a call-up umpire. And I immediately threw him out of the game after he threw me out of the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Were there so when you said to the umpire you missed the call, there were no other words mixed in there. That's all no, he looked, he stared at me, baiting me, and I said, You missed the call. I went down, <laughs> down and watched the replay. What he had done is the ball was fair, right? Or, yeah. or the ball was foul, and he called mm-hmm. it fair, and he covered up the spot where the ball hit foul. And <laughs> I come running up. I went down to look at the replay, and I come out. I said, oh, no, 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 he missed it. And I was top step loud, and I said, you missed the call. And yeah. he said, what did you say? I said, you missed the call. Boom, gone. Jesus. <laughs> oh, there was, there was no reason. Uh, for me to get, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't curse. I didn't call him anything. I just said, you missed the call. Uh, uh, one for one more question back on this sticky stuff real quick, not in regards to the Max Scherzer situation, but you know, within the last few years, we've 
seen more of a crackdown on this situation. And even as recently as when I was playing in minor league baseball, you couldn't find a pitcher that wasn't doing something to the baseball. Rosin and sunscreen, pine tar, pine rag, whatever it may be, somebody was using something. And I can only imagine back when you were pitching, the majority of people were doing things, of course. So my question for you is, what is the craziest thing that you've ever seen a pitcher do to baseball? And if you don't want to name drop, you certainly don't have to. Well, you know, for me, um, pitching when I broke in, doctoring a ball is one thing. Yeah. Uh, getting grip is another thing. And most hitters will tell you, I'd rather have a pitcher have grip than not have grip for my safety at the plate. Yep. Using something to increase your uh, spin rate, that's another whole different thing. So there's three categories. Getting a grip that doesn't create unwarranted or unwanted movement, that should be completely legal. To just get a grip, because think about it. A hitter gets gloves, and he gets pine tar, yeah. and he gets to grip the bat. Imagine if you had to not use gloves, hit in 35-degree weather, no pine tar, bats would be flying out of guys' hands. So the dilemma has always been, okay, let the pitcher have a grip that doesn't create unneeded or unwanted spin rate and or nothing other than what he's capable of doing. Because I argued forever that when pine tar was being used, it didn't create a sinker. Like it didn't create Vaseline. That creates unwanted, like that's unnatural. So when I broke in, I faced a pitcher that when I grabbed the ball, it had a perfect scuff mark every single time on the left <laughs> side of the ball. I didn't know what to do with it. When I threw the ball to home plate in my warmups, I didn't know where the ball was going. I kept throwing him back. So I didn't understand the, 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 the dynamics of what happens to a scuff baseball. Yeah. It's similar to mud on a golf ball. It goes opposite of the direction of where the scuff is. So once I learned that that ball was already in play, whether it was a ground ball that was hit. Remember, we used to keep the ball stayed in play a lot. Now every ground ball gets thrown out. So to me, that was the most obvious and craziest thing I'd ever seen because once I learned, I checked with some veteran pitchers and they said, oh man, if you get a scuff ball, here's what you do with it. Because it's it's humble, it's unhittable. And obviously the pitcher I was pitching against was known for that. And it was, it was, I couldn't believe my eyes when I would see a ball like that. So um, I have a funny story where Chipper Jones, when he was a rookie, Mm -hmm. I had a ball that was hit on the ground, came back to me. I looked at it and went, oh, this is a beauty right here, right here. (laughs) I threw like five splits in a row that just dove out of the zone, five swings and misses. Well, then the one I threw got a ground ball foul to Chipper. He fielded it and chucked it in the stands. I thought we were going to fight on the mound. And I was like yelling at him. He goes, why are you yelling at me? I said, don't you ever throw a ball away. Make the umpires throw a ball away. (laughs) So to your point, there's always been somebody somehow, somewhere trying to get an advantage. And I'm never in favor of the illegal advantage. Never. I always think that, that you should have the ability, a pitcher should have the ability to throw a baseball, grip a baseball, and a hitter should have the ability to grip a bat. And we should be able to find a common ground. I think we will. The Japanese ball keeps being brought up. It seems to be the easiest answer. There's no issues over there. And uh, once we get to that, 
it'll eliminate a lot. Look, it's not like 20 years ago where guys were throwing 92, 93 miles an hour. They're throwing 99 miles an hour. People's lives are at stake. If a ball gets away from a 99-mile-an-hour pitch, you could do bodily harm and you could severely hurt somebody. And so there's that fine line of being able to throw a ball and the hitter having an awareness that that pitcher kind of knows where that ball's going. And we're in that, you know, April's dicey in Chicago, Minnesota, and all those different places. And I, I was the first to say, you look at my track record. In cold weather, I was not a very good pitcher. Yeah. I had trouble gripping the ball and making my pitches, and I just had to deal with it. I'll, I'll never forget one. Uh, I think it was my second professional season. I'm playing in the Midwest League. So I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in the end of March, early April, one of the first games of the year literally got snowed out, but it's that cold the beginning of the year, as you know, from yeah. up there. And I, I remember we were facing a pitcher that clearly had like a mark on his hat and he was using something and all these guys were up in arms about it. I'm like, guys, it's 35 degrees. This guy's throwing 98. I would rather him be using something yeah. to make sure he doesn't hit me in the head or anywhere at the rate, how cold it is today. So Absolutely. I would prefer somebody just be able to get a little bit of a grip and throw strikes. And to that point, when they took it to the nth degree and every pitcher's numbers were getting better, then you know that substance is not legal. Yep. And that's why they had to crack down on major league pitchers because I don't want to say, but average pitchers were becoming above average with their ability to overnight. See, I, I have this philosophy. I can, you can either spin a ball or you can't. There's no mechanism other than showing the, the finite details of how to spin a baseball. But when everybody's numbers are going up, that's when you scratch your head and go, come on. Because there are elite pitchers who can spin a baseball that create spin better than others, just like elite hitters who can make contact. So yeah. not everybody can throw it the same way. And when everyone was getting close to those numbers, that's when baseball had to do something. Yeah. John, last one for you. I want to talk about uh, expansion a little bit because we just saw news about the Oakland A's possibly and their move to Vegas. And so Vegas is out in terms of an expansion team because they might be getting Vegas. But Manfred has been pretty vocal about the fact that he wants to expand to 32 teams within the next few years. Uh, I, I guess my first question to you is, do you think that happens? And where would you like to see an expansion team? I hope so. I hope it happens. We got to get to a number like 32 would be phenomenal. Now you're talking about four 18 divisions. You're talking about maybe being able to do things um, strategically with realignment and playoff systems. That would be phenomenal. Look, I've been an advocate of a first half, second half winner. I think in baseball competitive balance, if you get to 32 teams, you can now have a first half, second half winner where it entices teams to stay away from the tanking, stay away from like, we're just going to rebuild for five years because the small market te team argument is this you can't compete in 162 games. We saw what the Marlins did in COVID year. We saw what other teams could do in a 60 game stretch. So in a first half, second half scenario, you have strategy, you have ability to compete. Your team might be hurt the first half and the second half you reboot. That's how I get excited about, uh, two more teams being that you can now expand your horizon of how you want to go about playing baseball and how the competitive balance can now be regional and it can be more strategic in that. And the, as far as the cities, that's where it gets, you know, how many states could add another team? 
but you could have a national team. Charlotte's always been on, on that. They talk about Mexico, uh, maybe possibly being a team. Wherever and whoever would be willing to fit that mold, I think would be great for the game. You know, for the longest time, until this talent boost came in, we were talking about retraction. Now I'm more excited about adding to than retracting to because the talent pool has been obviously way better and the younger player is more prepared than ever. So that's what I would like. I'd love to see two more teams come in the fray because then you got, you can do a lot. Were you, uh, were you playing when, when there was expansion in the league? Yes. So how did it, was there just an expansion draft and, were you protected from it? Like, how did that work? Yeah, so there was only so many players you could protect. And then once they selected one, you could, I guess, protect some more. David Need was our guy that got selected by the Colorado Rockies. And I forget who the other one. But, yeah, you can only protect so many. And then that roster is made up of major leaguers and then backfilled with minor leaguers. And, look, they've taken away some of the minor league cities and, and levels. I kind of understand that. But I still think that the talent and the young talent is vibrant and good enough to where now it wouldn't take that team that much longer to be relevant. The Colorado Rockies are a perfect example. It wasn't too long after their expansion that they were, you know, they were the beast. And so you see this um, play out in sports and we forget it happens in other sports. It just hasn't happened in, in baseball in quite some time. But I, I wouldn't be advocating this if I didn't think the talent pool wasn't yeah. good enough to cover it. Yep, absolutely. I agree with you there. Uh, John, always a pleasure, my friend. I appreciate you joining me. And um, until next time, my friend. Look forward to it. All right, just wanted to thank John Smoltz for joining me. Always a blast of a conversation Saturday with Smoltz. I feel like I need another S in there for good alliteration. Like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Saturday with Smoltz. We'll figure it out there. <laughs> I appreciate you all for listening. Some great conversations there with Smoltzy about his ejections. I could listen to him tell stories forever and ever and ever. And the ejection stories are great. The doctoring baseball stuff is great. So uh, it's always a blast to have him on every single week. And I hope you all enjoy it as much as I do. I grew up idolizing the guy and now he's on every week. It's so, so cool. So I appreciate you all for listening. Make sure you subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever. And we're also on all social media as well, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. And you can watch every single episode on YouTube as well at Flippin' Bats Pod for all of them. That does it for this episode. Until next time, my friends, this has been another episode of Flippin' Bats. Peace.